Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. I am so excited for you to meet my next guest, Chris Prangy Morgan. Chris considers herself a student of all types of trauma. The adoption of her son in 2009 immersed her in issues of developmental trauma, which have continued to have a life-changing impact on her family. She suffered a life-changing accident in 2011 and became a trauma survivor herself. She's a mom, wife, writer, speaker, hospital chaplain, advocate, former social worker, and retreat leader. Chris's parenting article was featured in the Huffington Post and got the attention of NBC and landed her on the Today Show, where she shared some of her parenting and health journeys. Her story has also been featured on CBS, The Trauma Therapist Project, Milwaukee Magazine, and numerous others. Chris continues to be a recovering idealist an advocate for self-care and mindful parenting. Chris, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for having me on board. I was reading through your bio and everything that you've done, and it's pretty remarkable. (laughs) I couldn't even list it all in the intro. (laughs) Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, you start thinking, okay, what matters here, you know? And, um, you know, I I mentioned earlier, I tend to be, I'm always thinking I can do more, you know, with my parenting, with my marriage, with my jobs, with my work. And, and that was partly what led to my accident, you know, and, and I think that could be a problem. Yeah. 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 I'm going to start with that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just hit it hard. Hit it hard. So talk a bit about, so you're a rad mom, you're a parent of a kiddo with reactive attachment disorder. Are you okay sharing about that? Sure. Yeah. So we, uh, we have two children that joined our family through adoption. Um, they're both teenagers now, a 15, almost 16. My daughter's going to be almost, she's going to be driving soon. Oh my uh, <laughs> and I know, I know, like, but she's super responsible and I don't worry about her. Um, and my son is uh, 14 and he was the, is the child that has rad. And I didn't know anything about rad going into, I shouldn't say that I had heard, we had heard about rad before going to China to adopt our kids. And we hit the ground running with our daughter and we were like, Oh, we, you know, we're going to do all those things they tell you to do. We, I wore her. And um, of course they, they were toddlers when we brought them home too. Okay. So that, that made a difference because our daughter was rambunctious and wanted to run around and stuff. So we did all the things. And, um, and then our son was a total, total different story. Did you say you adopted your daughter from China as well? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So we adopted our daughter in 2007 and then we figured we needed a sibling and we went back to adopt our son in 2009. Got it. Yeah, they were not a sibling pair. Uh, they come from different provinces. Okay. Um, and our daughter, we believe, had some pretty decent care at her orphanage. Um, it wasn't the best building, 
but I think that the care she got was decent. And I think she probably gained a lot of um, attention from being cute and spunky and responsible and, and smart. And so, you know, that kind of factored into who she was as a per was as a little kiddo when we brought her home. So she had all this energy and we were like, oh, she's going to drive us crazy if we don't have a sibling. <laughs> um, so what do we do? And, and both of our kids have cleft lip and palate. Okay. And yeah. Um, and we were, we have a great medical team here and we thought, hey, we can, we can adopt another child with a cleft because we've got this awesome team. Uh, so we thought that was going to be the biggest deal, but with our son, um, I learned before we even went to China that he wasn't thriving in his um, orphanage. He, we got all the information about him uh, and it revealed like this pretty pathetic child. I mean, on the Today Show, you can see what he looks like in the picture, but he, he looks like, you know, one of those Ethiopian, Vic, you know, children that were so malnourished, you know, he, he couldn't even hold his head up. And, and because I had been a social worker, I figured... Hey, I'm gonna, you know, get the resources and connect up with these organizations over right. in China and do whatever we can to save him. And you know, that was just kind of my personality. It always has been. Right. And and so yeah, I, I wanted to be the hero. Little did I know that there would be these lifelong implications of the neglect and the we we think some abuse and these these things that we were not prepared for well you um, had a funny feeling didn't you the minute that you got there too is that oh, right yeah yeah so the moment they placed him in my arms he well let me back up for a second because we knew he had malnourishment and we sent him to a pediatric pediatric healing unit um i shouldn't say we the orphanage, once they learned we were on to them, they sent him to a pediatric healing unit in Beijing and he basically got fed and fattened up um, okay. for a period of three months, you know, I mean, and so, I mean, and for a lot of our kiddos, food is a huge trigger, still is. And are you back at home during this time when he's sent to that unit? Yeah, we were waiting to go to China oh, okay. to, to adopt him. Yeah, so from the other side of the world, we kind of got the ball rolling and I was waiting thinking, okay, he's going to, he's going to get better. You know, he's going to this place. And when we, by the time we get to China, he's going to be healthy and, you know, like all these things that you think. So, so that was, we found out in like August of 2008, um, we got our travel information in like October of 2008 that we we're going to be going to China to bring him home in February of 2009. So you find out he's starving in July, gets to a pediatric healing unit in August. They fatten him up, send him back to his orphanage. We go to China to bring him home in February and they place him in my lap. But the room is full with all these um, adoptive parents and he was, he was, he had, he had, um, he was covered in feces. He, you could, I could smell <sighs> his diaper was full. He, um, he was kind of sweaty and dirty and he was crying nonstop. And, and I just didn't know what to do. Like, 
um, he was pushing him away. I mean, all these things that you think this is supposed to be a great experience. And I kept saying to my husband, you know, this is a good thing that he's crying <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a good thing. He, he's, that means he's attached to his, to his environment here and he doesn't want to leave, you know, and I just didn't know he was miserable all around. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was just kind of the beginning. Um, I mean, I don't need to kind of stay on that, on that because what transpired when we got home was where the, you know, proverbial hit stuff hit the fan. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. We got mm-hmm. home. Well, even in back up when we were in China, so I would wear him in a baby sling doing all the attachment parenting techniques and um he would purse his eyes shut didn't want to look at me didn't want to look turned his head to the side as soon as you know I'd try to cradle his hat, hat head in my hands mm-hmm. like I wanted to bond and I wanted to connect and he wanted nothing to do with it and he would go limp and he would dissociate and he'd go somewhere in his head that I he was not reachable and even back in the hotel room you know, he would sort of go into this headspace where he would, he would be dissociating and didn't want to be in the world in, in the here and now. And my daughter was the only one at that point who could like swoop, uh, swoop in yeah. <laughs> and connect with him and like tickle him. And he, he connected with her. So I thought, okay, we may have to take a different perspective here. And that's sort of how you know, we continued was, you know, our daughter was his little touchstone when we got back, but he continued to um, resist any attempts at my connecting with him. Right. And how were you feeling noticing these things while you're in China that, you know, is an overwhelming experience. You're already in a different country, different language. Uh, You've got you know, these other parents around you, the adoptions happening, he's in your arms. So there's excitement. There's, I mean, everything's new. It must be overwhelming. And then trying to manage what's happened, what you're seeing that doesn't feel right or feels something's off here. How did you, you know, maybe tell me a bit about that. Like, what were you feeling or how did you, what, how did that roll out? (laughs) Yeah. So I felt this overwhelming sense of dread. Uh, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, It was a mixture of, you should be happy, Chris. You should be enjoying this. Um, But I was working so hard. I was like, I'm doing all the things they tell me. I'm I'm trying, you know, and plus you're, you're in a different country. So there's the excitement of being in a different country and the food and the smells and the people. And so you have this little child and, and, you know, I'm just, I was like, I felt inherently there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. There was something wrong. And I went to our, I said to my husband, I want to talk to somebody because I feel like there was something wrong with him and mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on it. And, and I thought it was something organic, like he had an organic brain disorder or something. And I was like, we were not prepared. And I actually asked our, um, our guide at the time, 
tell me about this. Like, is this normal? Like I wanted, I wanted to hear he'll, he'll be better Mm -hmm. once he's at home with in a loving family, things are going to change. And that's what they told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. what told us. <laughs> it's what it's what I wanted to hear yeah yeah and then I heard it and you know years later I go back to that experience and I think uh, I should have listened to my gut you know I was gonna like, ask you about that do you wish like you would have done something different in that moment obviously you didn't know to right um but looking back hindsight is always twenty twenty. but You know, is there something you would have, knowing what you know now, is there something you would have done differently? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because that hinges on so many questions because, Mm -hmm. and even as I'm writing this book, my editors are, I'm at a, I'm at a section where my editors are like, Chris, you need to go deeper. You need to, you need to talk about this. And I've got all the, all all the voices in my mind that are like, there are people out there that are going to say, you don't love your child. And there, if you, if you talk about this, there are going to be these people who say, you know, right. The right? judgment. Yeah. Right. So, so did it, to answer your question, you know, the question is, do we go forward with the adoption or not? Mm-hmm. And that's always the catch 22. Right. If we say yes and go move ahead, are we ready for what, ensues like right. are, we, are we going to be ready for whatever happens right and I mean and I and again I'm going to digress because I, I was on an um, advisory com- committee at Children's Hospital here and I got to know a lot of parents with, of children with special needs and I was right. like nobody asks for the hands that they've been de- they've been dealt sometimes like not everybody loves parenting mm-hmm and it's, and it's the thing we don't talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, the elephant in the room. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are bio kids where their parents are like, I don't like my kid very much, right? Yes. So, yeah. So, like, do you stay in the game, mm-hmm. even though life is hard, mm-hmm. and it's not what you asked for, mm-hmm. or do you jump ship? Right. And did and- you feel or would you have felt that you could have jumped ship because of those biases or judgments. And I asked because, and, you know, we were in a similar situation where, but I didn't feel, I felt ethically, I would be doing something so wrong by saying, uh, this isn't what we, what we expected to get or what we were told was happening. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I felt that if I did that, I would be this terrible, it would just be uh, a huge taboo, um, just not ethical. I wouldn't feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what I'm asking you is, did you feel like you were in that situation? So then I didn't even make the decision. My gut told me that I should have done because I felt obligated. And uh, I just, you know, it's one thing to take a dress back to the store, but yes. to like say, oh, you know, this isn't what we were told was going to happen. And now you've put us in this situation and, you know, we just felt obligated. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head about the, you know, the ethical nature of those of us who go into this, like we're, we're highly loving. I shouldn't say that. I'm, my husband would beg to differ. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Well, we're we're empathic usually, and we we care, yeah. and we're nurturing, and we are all these things, right? And we want to do the right thing, and that's why we do this. And yeah, I felt the same. Like there was no way I was going to turn back around. Like we were in it, we were in it for the long haul, mm -hmm. we're, and we're still in it for the long haul. And I know there are lots of parents who end up um, having to relinquish, and mm -hmm. I mean in the, in the beginning, I mean, in the early days, you know, we looked into so many of those options and my husband's a school psychologist and, and he, my, my, my son ended up attaching to him over the years. Oh, good. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it, it hasn't been optimal. I mean, again, right. it's, it's challenged our marriage still challenges our marriage. Mm -hmm. it, it's not what I, it's not what we signed up for. No. Um, at all. I mean, we're different people. I mean, I look in the mirror and I look tired and bedraggled and my accident happened as a result of the pent up stress and anxiety of parenting a child that I wasn't prepared to deal with his issues of. And I, you know, I keep going back to where's the village that, you know, people say should exist for us moms, right? You know, where's the, where's the, where's the ability to connect with other people who get it without judgment? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place, but I think that's the one thing that I wish had, had been in place before we decided to adopt. Had we been told, Chris, this is going to be really hard, but we will tell you we're in it with you. And if you need anything, you know, like there'd be a support group for other red, you know, well, assuming right most of our most of our kids have attachment challenges i mean right. i think it it's the it's like you said the elephant in the room like these these kids aren't ha, don't aren't damaged somehow by their experiences mm -hmm. and like you know like they're like i knew you know a year into it that there was something organically different in the way that our son processed attachments and that in the same way, which I learned later after having my accident and having pain in like, I have some, I have some hardware in my back. Um, and I had to learn how to sort of like do this abdominal bracing so I wouldn't injure my back. And it became like inherent to the way I move, but I have to, I have to brace my back so I don't hurt myself. I'm like, that's what Kai does. He braces every time. Interesting. You know, it's like he readies for the pain and he braces in his brain and he doesn't even, and it's not a blaming thing. Like it's, right. a, it's a trauma thing. It's like, yes. I, I see it. Yeah. 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 So interesting not, that you yeah. could relate that and you know, in a way what he's doing, you can empathize with it. Well, yeah. And, and so, you know, back to kind of talk about, you know, this, this book I'm writing it, it, I already wrote, or I initially wrote it as memoir, but I went back and rewrote it a couple of different times more as essay, because there are so many takeaways from my accident that I could relate to my children. Like another one was the idea of loss. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I, I had a, a rock climbing fall. That's how my accident happened. Yeah. I was going to um, ask about that. Maybe talk about that a bit because yeah. it's an important piece. So fill people in, fill people in. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. I, I just kind of assume people get, um, so one of the ways I started to, or one of the ways I cared for myself, um, is that, or I still try to stay active 
and our family goes rock climbing and we have a climbing gym in town. And um, I, our son was in all these therapies at the time and I had an afternoon free. And before I was gonna take him to an appointment at Children's, I said, I'm gonna go climbing. I'm gonna bring him along. I'm gonna set him up on the floor with his little matchbox cars and I'm gonna you know, climb. And then when you climb, you wear this harness and you clip in this carabiner to this rope and there's something called, called an auto belay, which is an automatic pulley kind of thing. And I saw this new route and I was excited to climb it. And the thing is, I forgot to clip in. <laughs> of all the things that they tell you to do when you climb, it's like, make sure that you have the presence of mind to make sure you clip yourself in. So you, if you come down, you don't fall. Well, I didn't right. do that because I had trauma brain. Mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I was like frazzled. I... I was so, I didn't even know it. I I, was just going to say, I bet you didn't know it because it's, yeah, nope, I get it. I was just being mom. I was being super mom. I, I mean, really, and I was proud of that. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing that is just like, oh, over the years, I've learned so much. Like, I mean, there was, there was a pride piece Mm -hmm. there. I was totally clueless about you know, rat, I mean, how I was, I, I was being affected by my son's trauma for and sure. I had embodied it and it yes. and literally came crashing down. My life changed in that instant. And, and I learned so much. Um, so, so the upshot was that, that I crushed my ankle. I crushed my pelvis, a couple of um, vertebrae uh, broke a rib. Cause I you fell my- from quite a high I fell for like 30, about 30 feet or so. 30 feet. Yeah. And under my right side, um, uh, or like my, like straight down, but I, most of my impact was, um, that wasn't my right side. So, so yeah, so we tried to, we, I did limb self, they call it limb salvage with that really badly mangled ankle for two years until I realized that in order to have a good quality of life, I'd probably do better to have an amputation because you can do more with a prosthetic than you can with this painful, swollen, you know, cobbled together ankle. And I had had like 11 surgeries and I could go off about medicine and <laughs> but right. I so I made it. And decision. crutches too. You were on crutches a lot yeah. of the time. So you're active, your family's active. You can't participate the way you're used to. Right, right. And yeah, exactly. Like I'd walk, I still remember everyone playing Frisbee and I was sitting there uh, like, oh, like I was in tears. And yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. But I was, and then my husband was like, oh, <laughs> why don't just, you know, just deal with it. Right. <laughs> we had a huge argument that day. Like, oh, you have no idea what it's like. But anyway, so yeah. So I ended up having an amputation and Um, You know, there's this concept of phantom pain Mm -hmm. in the amputee community. And I never, I didn't, I don't struggle with phantom pain, but I know that it is this idea that there's this body part that is no longer there and you think it's there. Mm -hmm. And I started to ponder like, how does this, I think my children's experiences are a lot like this. Hmm. Like they were ripped from their their biological families, their biological caregivers at an early age. And I have no idea what that's like. And just like people don't know what it's like, if you're not an amputee, you don't know what phantom pain is like. Right. Um, 
so for them, it's like this, this piece of them that they've been ripped away from is still, it's still painful, you know, that's still loss. I mean, I still, even though I made the right choice and I don't question that I became an amputee, uh, I still wish I, I had my biological foot, you know, right. and, and as my daughter has gotten older and she's smart and we talk about these things, um, you know, I'll say, you know, I'll make a comment about being your mom, you know, and then simultaneously I'll be like, but there's another mom mm-hmm. and we'll talk about this. And, you know, it's not like I can ever smooth it over and make it better you know? Right. right. And, and it's always there. It's always a part of our lives. And I'm not, and I'm not saying, and that's, so when I talk about like the full catastrophe and full catastrophe parenting and going back to the question of if I could have run mm-hmm. when I, when I could have run, um, <laughs> let's be real. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know, people will say, would you do it differently? It's like, there are some days I would say, yeah. yeah. And there are some days I would say, absolutely not. Right. And how many other parents say the same thing? Like yeah. parenting is just dang hard and life can be really hard and we don't get a pass. Like, I mean, I've met a lot of people in the disability community that are just like, I didn't ask for this, mm-hmm. but I, but I still carry on, you know? Right. So, so I think of all of us that that's, that's what we do, you know? And yeah. It is what it is kind of thing. And you just move on from there. And so you had this accident in the midst of being, like you say, so deeply immersed in this whole rad and raising a child from trauma and not even recognizing that you, you know, made this error that everybody knows not to, right. But you just weren't in the presence of mind. And so you fell, you had this accident what what happened after that for you? Honestly, and I've I've been writing about this a lot too. Um, the moment I got to my hospital room after I went through the workup in the emergency department and the CT scans and the MRIs and all this stuff, and I was in the hospital room, and it was quiet, and it was dusk, and I saw the sun setting through the window, and I was alone. I actually felt the first sense of peace that I had felt since being a parent. Like, I was like, I told myself, I was like, Chris, this is really messed up, but you needed this to happen. Otherwise, I probably, something else would have happened. Like, you know what I mean? Um, For sure. You hear about the the effects of chronic stress. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear about like autoimmune diseases and... um, and other things that, that people end up getting. Um, and yeah, I, I realized that I needed to take better care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I knew it was, it was a definite wake up call. Uh, and I had, a, and I had an excuse now, like before I didn't have an excuse. I mean, and, and still like, you'd think now, you know, okay, I'm an amputee. I have this disability technically. And I have chronic, some chronic back pain and I have to do certain things to take care of myself, but that the push to prove and to fix and to sort of um, be all these things to all these people is always there. Right. 
Hey, Rad Parents. Have you ever wondered how it would feel to tell your story? It just might be your story that changes a life and helps someone. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, go to radtalkwithtracy.com, click on the podcast link and apply. So this was like a way out with, and you felt like you needed, not consciously, I don't think, and it's on the other side of things, but just listening to your words, you know, like now you have an excuse, you have a reason it, we shouldn't need something that big, right? Just the fact right. that you're drowning and should be enough of a reason, but that really is important to highlight because I think that's exactly what happens, you know, is that for me and when I, when I talk with other parents, I get the same sense that when you say, you know, you're immersed in it, really, it's almost like you go into this whole other world or mental state that you don't, you're not even conscious is happening. And then one day, whether it's your accident or something, you snap out of it. And it's literally like coming out of a different place. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, it's, it feels like a force field, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it, I, I liken it to like a nuclear reactor, like trauma is like this nuclear reactor and it has this force field and it brings us all in. Sucks and, right. Or like, you know, I had a therapist that referred to it as a black hole, you know, um, if you're not careful and if you're not mindful and aware of how this is happening, you will get sucked in. And it's such this, it's hard. I mean, it's a, it is it's, hard. Yeah. I mean, and you know. I think it happens without you noticing. That's the weird part is you just slowly, you know, like a zombie walking towards the light or whatever. Right. It's just, <laughs> I love that. You don't even know. And then you're in it. And then that lack of awareness, like you didn't even recognize how stressed out or what it was doing to you that you were making such huge mistakes or putting yourself in situations. We all are, but it's just that it's clueless. You don't even see it happening. And then, yeah, that snap, whatever it is that snaps you out. Yeah. And I don't know if it's something that's reinforced by society's expectations of women, or if it's a, if it's a Western expect, you know, I don't know. I mean, all I do, I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, I grew up in the seventies. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, my mother talking to the neighbor lady at the, at the laundry line and how women just helped each other with their children. And I'm like, wait, I wish I had that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when, when did this different way of expecting for we women to be these hyper-individualistic people when did this happen? I don't know. This idea that it, it does take a village is very true. Mm-hmm. And for especially us rad parents and any parents of children with special needs, I think when I was on the parent advisory committee at Children's, that was one of the silver linings was we would get together once a month and we'd all just be like, oh, this feels so good because I don't feel like we have to carry the, the weight of the world and, and our families on our shoulders, you know? Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, with organizations like, you know, Red Advocates and other folks that are finally getting the word out about mm-hmm. how we're all affected by this trauma. I mean, I mentioned on a meeting we had recently that I believe that like these adverse childhood experiences or trauma 
that, I mean, it's not just adoptive kids, but it's anybody who grows up in this state of chronic hypervigilance. I think it's kind of a public health problem because I think often about, and I don't want to jump off to a totally different tangent, but when I did social work in the, in the, um, in the um, urban environments, uh, and I did a lot of you know, substance abuse work and um, uh, criminal justice stuff, I saw the same thing, this deer in the headlights look in my adult clients that I saw, that I've seen in my son from day one. Right. And we've worked with him really hard. And I, and I am very proud of all the work that we've put in. And I don't think he's going to be, well, knock where it would, you know, with the work we've put in it, he's turning out to be a pretty cool kid in a lot of respects. He's still really difficult. But if we don't put in the time with people with, you know, if we don't tend to this problem of child trauma, um, they grow up to be criminals. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, that's just something that I've, that I noticed was like, I see the same look mm-hmm. in my son. I mean, not anymore. It was when he was young. Right. In the adults, like this lack of cause effect thinking, right? Like they do the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, I'd say to them, you, you just got, you were just got out of jail for that. And why don't you do things differently? You know, we, right. we, all talk, we read parents are like, we, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so you were saying your son did eventually build an attachment with your husband, his dad, and not you. What does that look like? How does that make you feel? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I kind of live, I think we all kind of live through this a little bit, right? And so what kind of emotions go to that? And where are you now with it? You know, it can't be easy. There's the positive side of it. Like, great, he's attaching to someone. You see your child as, hey, at least, right, there's something and someone that he's attaching to. But at the same time, there's that piece of, it's not me, um, and maybe will never be, you know, what does that all look and feel like? Yeah. Oh, that's a loaded question. Right. Um, <laughs> we, we, we just met with our, um, our therapist yesterday and, and she reiterated that, you know, there's really nothing I can do, you know, like there's nothing to, I can do to it's, because my son will brace against my and my trying to get close to him. So, um, and I'm sorry, how old is he now? He's 14, 14. Right. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get to, um, an awareness that nothing is ever a hundred percent. Like I could have this optimal marriage with everything that I always wanted or this optimal parenting experience with every, I mean, like we all are wanting the perfect life. Right. Right. And then I started to ask the questions. Okay. So if you made this decision, say we decided to send our son, I don't, I don't think he'd qualify for an RTC, but that would not be optimal for him. Uh, It's still best for him to be with us. And Mm -hmm. I did a lot of my own work before we got married. I mean, I went to therapy and I worked through my family of origin issues and stuff like that. So it was helpful because I can be my own person 
and yeah, I absolutely wish that my husband and I could connect more intimately more often and that I wouldn't have to sort of allow my husband to do his thing with my kid because my because my son doesn't have a lot of friends you know we're working on that and right now my husband can it feels like he can be his buddy at times and I'm like we have to start start cutting the apron strings a bit and I'm like it's a process Chris it's a process and just be okay with that for now like is it perfect no like just yesterday my husband and I got into an argument <laughs> about this I mean because it's yeah it's not easy work you know it's not easy work especially when you have to be you know most of us hope to be a team as parents and I'm not saying that you don't end up being a team but you're having to fragment a little bit from that to allow your son to grow and your husband's the one building that, but then there is that separation and that different parenting differently. And that's hard. Well, yeah. And the thing that's made it easy is that my daughter is older and she has seen this from day one, like, and she and I, I mean, you know, again, thankfully I've done my family of origin work because I grew up with a kind of an enmeshed relationship with my mom so I'm always aware that I don't want that to be my daughter and I, because it could easily go there because she sees sort of this suboptimal way that my husband and my son need to coexist for right. my son to make gains. But I worry now, like when I, when Jade goes to college, I'm like, oh, you know, because she gets it. And she's like one of the few people other than my folks and my, my brother-in-law that really gets it. Um, so, you know, and, and rad pair, other rad moms. For sure, yeah. And that's where, you know, like when I was thinking about the idea of the full catastrophe, you know, we live in this catastrophic life where you can't like look ahead and worry about the future and you can't look back and wish you'd done it differently. You just be in the present and you go, all right, I'll take this set of circumstances today and we'll just work with it. And even though my husband and I might get in a huge argument, it's like, okay, that's done. He knows how I feel. He know I know how he feels. We're doing our best. And we just claim that. And then we just move on. And then the next day, things are better, or maybe right. not. And you just, you know, you just live moment by moment. And all of you know, when I used to do substance abuse work, you know, even folks that are in recovery from substance abuse, like that's that living in the present, being in the now is, is, is like the bottom line of so many recovery movements. And I think it, it applies for rad parents too. Like it does. And I think it's also one of the hardest things to do, Yeah. but when you can do it and when you can come to that, I don't know, aha moment or whatever it is, for me, and I think for a lot of parents and you too, that's the defining moment is that it pulls you out of that fog. You know, I think a lot of us get into a situation with raising a child with rad. And um, for me, I felt like there was a lot of control around it and not purposeful, but you end up trying to control everything because you have to, right? And by control, I mean, 
okay, making this child better, giving them what they need. And just constantly, that's your focus. You're controlling it. You're looking for therapists. You're looking for programs. You're doing all the things. And then what's the next thing and nothing's working. And then you're just down this rabbit hole that you don't even know how far you've gotten until something or some moment, but it's letting go and just switching that mindset of maybe I can't control all of this. And like that allows you, I think, to then step back and say, now I can kind of live more in the present once I let go of that control, or I think you've described it as letting go of those expectations, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure you know, it's, it's control, it's expectations. And then that just starts getting ahead of you. And you start living in that, that you don't even know how far you've gotten um, and that you can't even see to pull yourself out. And so sometimes um, it takes an event or a person or a situation, but, um, and then, but once you've made that change, I think that's where you begin to heal and be able to cope better and start turning it around a little bit on on your own self-care. I don't know if I love that word, but taking care of yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's not the bubble bath or the glass of wine or right. the date night, or it's like a, it's a way of being and thinking differently where, like you said, letting go. I think that's huge. You know, I think about that Hartman triangle where you have the victim, the persecutor and the rescuer. And, you know, like there's always, I, I had a, um, a supervisor when I was in grad school, when I was doing an internship and she said, cause I was always wanting to be the hero. And she said, Chris, you do a real disservice to your clients if you don't allow them to do their own work for themselves. So every time you jump in, you know, and I think about that with our child, with his schoolwork, you know, I mean, you know, he's struggling in school right now and, mm-hmm. you know, and, but the natural consequences of you know, if this is going to happen, um, you know, what's, what's that going to be like? It's, it's being able to sit back and then allowing the thing to happen right. and to say, so let's talk about that. Right. And, and it may take years for right. them to come to that awareness. It's hard. So it's like watching a train wreck sometimes. Oh, it's so hard and repeated and repeated and it's hard not to rescue. And it's also hard, I think, not to feel Um, I don't know if guilty, it's just a hard place to sit back and allow things to happen for a lot of people, but especially in the rad case. And again, for so many reasons, because not only are you watching your child suffer and not learn, you just want to make it easier for them. But I think also as a parent raising a rad child, the things that you have to experience on a daily basis and the level of stress and trauma 24 seven, sometimes you just want to make that go away for a moment, right? Uh, For a moment? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I could use more than a moment, but like, but you're right. Yeah. (laughs) We, our, our family bought a hot tub for our Christmas gift this year. And I went in there yesterday and I was just like, Oh, you know, um, okay. Just, just to allow this time to, to soak and take care of yourself. And yeah, we keep thinking though, like, Oh, if I just get to that other side, then, you know, and that, that, that end is never, never arrives. It's like, it's like working a program, this kind of parenting for sure. But I do think, you know, if there's anything that we need, it's, you know, it's each other, 
you know, it's, it's, it's so nice to be talking like with you and somebody who gets it. And like when we're talking with other rad moms, it's like, oh, finally, I, I've been thinking lately, it, it reminds me of um, the people in my life that have, that are, um, that are gay and have been going through their lives, their, their whole lives saying, you don't understand this life you keep wanting me to live is not who I am. Right. And, and I feel that that's kind of like what rad parenting is like. It's like parenting these kids is so much different than what the rest of, you know, like typical society thinks it should be like. And, you know, when we're with people who get it, it's such, um, it's so empowering. And a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can let everything go and just be you. And very true, very true. And I love that uh, there's there's people out there, including you and other organizations that we're all starting to come together. I think the hardest thing for, for parents too is to feel like, because you're, when you're in it with RAD, and again, it's a spectrum. And so sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's moderate, yes. sometimes it's severe. And then- what that entails, is it more severe on the emotional manipulation, triangulation side, or is it more severe on the homicidal, suicidal? Is it a combination of all? I mean, you know, it, it's different, but we're all experiencing it to the, the same level, but it's really hard to pull yourself out of that. And I think the more we come together and the more that we support each other and people hear our stories and, you know, learn about resources and have books to read, you know, and I want you to talk about that. You've got your book and a podcast. So that's yeah. kind of what you're doing now. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, just to quickly jump on what you said, sure. like we, I have never had to worry about um, my own safety other than, you know, like when my, my son doesn't make the best choices, like, you know, leaving the burners on or, you know, like, those types of things. Like I've never had to worry, like another, I know a lot of other rad parents have that their child is going to hurt them in the middle right. of the night and that type of thing. So, you know, it's like my heart just breaks for that. I mean, and, and now I don't have a crystal ball, you know, I right. mean, this guy, you never know what the future holds. So, yeah. So like, as I think about this, um, you know, I, and in, the essence of being in the present and, and working with what we've got, like the only thing I'm, I have to offer is like this, this, like hanging in there right. <laughs> idea, right. It's like, you know, people will talk to me about, you know, being an amputee or having this disability and, you know, like I'll go to the gym and people will be like, Oh, that's really cool that you still come. <laughs> I'm just like, what? So you, you expect me to like sit on the couch and like, you know, feel sorry for myself. It's, right. kind of, it's kind of the same thing as, you know, any, any challenges in life. Like we need each other. We need yeah. other people to say, Hey, I get it. Hang in there. You right. know, you're doing the best you can. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to judge you. Right. You <laughs> no judgment. I get you no judgment or maybe, Hey, I've been there. This is where I am. Let me help you through, you know? Yes. Or let me show you it can be okay. But I've also been where you are right. And to help each other, help pull those ones out that are behind or get pulled up for the people that are, 
you know, yes, yes. ahead of us. Right. But right. Uh, I love that. It really is about coming together. You've nailed it. And I love the comparisons you're making. I think it, it, it's so accurate about what you were saying, comparing your uh, phantom pain and losing your leg to how these kids feel being pulled from their biological parents or caregivers. Uh, it takes a village. I really appreciate that. That really resonated. Yeah, there. I mean, there have been a lot of takeaways um, that I've been uh, that I've been able to use, you know, to kind of, you know, learn right. more and to like put out there because you know these are kind of unique perspectives, you know. And as oh, yeah. in my work as a hospital chaplain, like I I had to do that for a while because I hadn't ever thought I was always like the the optimist, like the recovering optimist. Yes. But to be able to sit with people in their pain and their loss, I had to learn how to do that because, you know, this type of parenting, my children come to us with loss mm -hmm. and I never looked at my loss of like my goal, my loss of our dreams for what parenting should feel yeah. like and look like. Uh, and yeah. You know, I mean, it's just the different. grief behind it. Yeah. The grief yeah. that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And does that mean we would say uh, we wouldn't stay in it? No, 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 it doesn't mean that at all. It just means it's different. It looks different. It feels different. It, the experience is different and it's still rich. It's still rich. And it's sometimes it kind of sucks. And sometimes, yeah. you know, um, we come out the other side and it's great, but it mm -hmm. doesn't last. And then we just keep hanging in there. And, um, but, but we do need each other. And I think um, I just wish that that happened more among society as a whole. And um, I'm glad that in the rad community, it's starting to happen a lot more. Me so. too. Me too. So your book is full catastrophe parenting. Yeah. It's That's pretty self-explanatory. I love it. It's still a working title. Um, we're going to be... Um, we're hoping sometime over the summer we'll be making some developments with that. It's been a work in progress and, um, oh, you know, it's, it's like, it's like a birth, right? <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine. Yeah. There's questions like, is this going to really happen? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what if there's all the what ifs, you know, I but bet. I bet. And then you have a podcast yourself now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we're, we're, we're working on putting out material and content. Um, we've got three, three things that are, are three episodes that will be forthcoming in the next few weeks. Um, so far we've gotten, we only have three episodes out there. One of them is interviewing my daughter. Um, and I'm so proud of her because she's talked about um, her experience as an Asian adoptee and having white parents and how the Black Lives Matter movement kind of kicked stuff up in her mm -hmm. about, about Asians and how now Asians are getting there's Asian racism, which is For a real sure. thing. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So she talks about that on, on our podcast and, um, but yeah, we, I, hopefully I'll have to get some cues from you about uh, how to, how to do this better. Right. Oh <laughs> gosh. No, I just love that. It's out there and about parenting and, for the parents, right? And all the stories that you're going to be sharing too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's nice too. Do you feel fortunate? We have two siblings and one is a more positive relationship. And I'm so grateful for that. Do you find the same thing with your daughter? That's, that's helped carry yeah. you through during those times that you didn't get that. Yes, definitely. I do worry that she also has some PTSD from this. Yeah. 
but I keep telling her that I'm I'm here for her and um, you know we we just take it as things go but yeah I, I feel really blessed I mean I'm 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 blessed for and I don't like the word blessed either because <laughs> sometimes you know like it's overused for yeah 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 I feel fortunate sometimes that um, that we have hung in there because you know my my daughter's just she's got some really amazing qualities that I'm looking forward to seeing how those play out in life as she gets older, you know, she's smart and yeah. And you know, and, and my son is turning out to be cool too. He's a, he's a skateboarder yeah. and um, he's kind of techie and we don't know what the future holds. So um, yeah, we just kind of hang in there. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to share or say about your experience, your book? Yeah. Well, you know, I, if anything, you know, my biggest takeaways are that you absolutely have to, you know, care for yourself, mm -hmm. um, pay attention to your body, your thoughts, your mind, like how you are in this, this unique world, this unique set of circumstances with this difficult child it's difficult situation and don't feel guilty right <laughs> for doing what you have to do and don't look at it like for so many years I did like it was selfish to even you know just have to take a break sometimes mm -hmm. um yeah and it's not always easy to do I mean because not everyone gets our kids but yeah so that that's a huge takeaway and I would like to see the RAD community come together and support each other even more than we're already doing. And it's happening and it's exciting. And um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That support piece, we got to stick together. We can't do it alone. And uh, finding that support group, huge. Yeah. Which we're here. We're out here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's happening. And thank it's you. It's happening. For yeah, and thank you for sharing all these stories of other rad parents. Like it's just it's it's showing me how deep and vast this community is. And we know it, like we have this gut sense that it's just not being talked about and you're allowing it to be talked about. So thanks for for airing all the stories of all the people that, you know, like myself that were were in this journey together. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it has been so great chatting with you today. I feel like I could sit here for hours. Yeah, so do I. And uh, thanks for sharing everything. I'm glad you guys are doing well. And good luck with your book and your podcast. And I know thank we'll talk you. more. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. I've, I've enjoyed this today. I could talk forever too. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. See you later. Okay. Thanks.
Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.